Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. Adorned with palms in various ways. Um, you may take your palms down to Children's Church if you'd like and wreak havoc with your Children's Church teacher. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> It always amazes me how children can do anything and turn it into a weapon. It was not 30 seconds for handing out the palms and the children were sword fighting with them. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the palms today. Uh, it is Palm Sunday. If you're curious why we're handing out parts of trees to you this morning, uh, we are just getting a little tangible experience perhaps of what it would have been like on Palm Sunday. To hold a palm branch, to smell the palm branch, to wave the palm branch, to kind of feel it like they might have felt it way back in the day when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. We're going to do things a little bit differently today, though. Um, rather than preach a long message to you guys, like I typically do, and then worship at the end, um, I'm going to teach little portraits about Jesus, and in between each portrait, we're going to worship with a song that will uh, be based off that scripture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn something specific, and then intentionally worship Jesus for that characteristic of himself. So that sometimes I think in worship, and maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but sometimes when we do three or four songs, I just kind of zone out. Does anybody else do that? Is anybody else going to admit to that in church? Nobody? Thank you for making your pastor feel <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, so sometimes I think we do just kind of sing the words that are on the screen without truly thinking about what they are and what they say and what they mean. And so this, this morning, I think... As we look at King Jesus, we're going to look at some aspects of his kingship, and then we're going to worship that aspect through a song intentionally, focusing on the words and what he might say to us as we sing those lyrics. And so just so you know, it's going to be a slightly different outline today, but I know that God will use it and he will speak to us because his word never returns void. Now, I just got back from vacation. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., and I went and got to see some of the museums like the Smithsonian Museums, and there's museums that you take your kids to because they're fun, like the Natural History Museum with the dinosaur bones and the big elephant thing in the middle. And then there's museums you don't take your kids to that often because it's the art museum, and you're worried about, like, putting your fingers on the paintings, and are they going to knock things over? And so as an adult, I went to this art museum for the first time. There's never an art museum in my life. Went to this art museum, and maybe I'm just not smart enough. But I didn't, I didn't fully get all the art, okay? I'll just be, I'll just be up front. I didn't fully get it all. Uh, some paintings were really cool looking, though, but I have no idea what they meant. Um, and, and some were really not that cool looking, and I walked right past them. Some of them caught my eyes, though. There was this one portrait of a guy, and he was standing, he was standing on nonchalant, kind of like this, but he's dressed in, like, 1870s garb, and he's doing this. He's just pointing at something, nothing. There's nothing. And so I, I walked past it, caught my eye, and I looked back, took a picture of it. I, didn't, I should have put it up here, but I didn't. And he's just, he's standing up cool. <laughs> and I just, I had to stop and stare at him because I have no idea what he was pointing at. Um, I looked it up, and the answer was really boring. So the mystery, <laughs> the mystery of what he was pointing at was far better than, uh, than what he was actually pointing at. It had to do with some sort of revolution, I don't know, something. 
historical, uh, they didn't say that much more enough for art, I guess. So um, needless to say, these portraits kind of captured my imagination. Um, and then we went on a White House tour, which was really cool. And there's, did you know how much art is in the White House? You did, I did. There's so much art in the White House. Um, and so in every room, there's these famous paintings. And if you walk down certain hallways, there's the, the portraits of the presidents that have gone before us. And I got to start thinking about this. Um, you learn a lot by looking at someone's painting or portrait. And so I just want to, just for a moment, if you throw up the first one, um, this is a portrait of King Henry. Can we dim the light that, uh, as we get a better picture? Uh, this is King Henry the... Anybody? Eight, right? Okay, so you know King Henry VIII. Um, you already probably know a little bit about him, just based on some poems and songs and history. Uh, but um, if you were just seeing this painting for the first time, what would you think about him? Powerful? What? Arrogant, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, have a look. Well fed. Well fed. Yeah, I mean, we, we I mean, it's just... I, I wonder, because I'm a little guy, how much did that coat weigh? <laughs> like, right? Um, so you see this portrait and you glean some things, or maybe accurate, maybe not accurate, but you glean some things about this king. So here's what I know about King Henry. Um, based on this picture, we get the idea that he was more of a, uh, a politician than a warrior. Okay? Um, he was known in his life for his many marriages, right? His role of the separation of the Church of England from the Roman Catholic Church. He had a run-in with the Pope, okay? Um, and he made radical changes to the English Constitution, basically the divine right of kings, saying that kings know best and we speak for God, is what he said. So he, he was more of a politician um, in the background than he was a warrior, and this painting captures that. There's really no warrior in this. This is well-fed, cavalier, arrogant politician. Now hit the next king for me. Okay? Another portrait of a king. Any of you know who this is? Okay, I'm fudging a little bit. It's not technically a king. Maybe a king. Uh, he's a czar. Okay, does that count? Okay. Uh, this is Peter the Great. I chose him because I like his name. Uh, right? uh, I can't rock that haircut, but uh, this is Peter the Great. What do you glean about his life from this? Anybody? Soldier, okay, yeah. Anything else? Looks like he works out. Yeah, yeah, a little different than the than the big guy, right? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know much about Peter the Great. Here's what I learned: He was a warrior. Um, he expanded Russia's territory through waging successful wars on land. But he wasn't just content with gaining territory via land. He thought, why stop at land? Let's take over the sea. So he was the one who built Russia's maritime efforts, and he conquered via the sea as well, um, and he expanded his power that way. He was a warrior, and so you see him as a king. He's got his kingly robe, but he's got this great battle armament on. So when people look back on history, they said, these are the things he accomplished. Let's paint a painting that tells us about that. Now, that was interesting. I saw some interesting things like that in the uh, museum in Smithsonian. Let's go to the next one. This is a president. I walked through and got to see some presidential portraits. Who's this? Right, if you didn't know that, we'd have to have a serious conversation. Um, yeah. What do you know about George Washington based on this picture? Not what you've learned in rhymes and lyrics and school stuff, but what do you know based on this picture? Well-educated. Well-educated, okay. Statesman. Statesman, yep. Army. Army commander. Anybody else? Not a fancy dresser. Not a fancy dresser. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would tend to agree. It's kind of drab, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so I researched. Did you know you can go to the White House webpage and they have a listing of every official painting of president from George Washington forward? And under the painting, it explains what the artist was trying to capture about that president in the painting, which I thought was really interesting. Like when they explain art to you, it's good because I don't get art. There is, you don't even know what is in this painting until you read that. The, the red symbolizes something, and the ornate leg symbolizes something, and everything has a symbol. Um, anyway, here's what this is. He is shown as an orator during a public debate. So he's, you know, uh, well educated. He's got the, you know, hey, I'm talking to you pose. Um, and uh, it was painted by the uh, painter to show his authority, knowledge, and wisdom. So he was an intellectual guy. That's what they were trying to capture. But also they wanted to hint at his ability of his strength to lead by force if necessary. So you've got a sword in his hand, um, which symbolizes you know, strength and authority. But it was not a battle sword. This was uh, what they call like a dress sword. And I guess you have fancy swords and killing swords. And so, um, this was a fancy sword. Um, and so they were wanting to hint at his ability to lead in strength if necessary. But they said his strength was the oration and the foundation of conversation. So I thought that, that was interesting. Here's another uh, president. Um, anybody know this president? Anybody? Nope. Nope. Don't feel bad. I didn't either. I was like, I don't know this guy. We're going to put him up on the screen and see if anybody else knows him. Zachary Taylor. 12th President of the United States of America. Uh, tell me what you know about him based on this painting. Soldier. Soldier, right. Fancy sword. Yeah, he's got a sword. Chubby. Chubby? Little? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he just ordered, doesn't it? Okay, so here's what I learned about Zachary Taylor. He was shown in military dress because he was a career general with substantial victories in the Mexican-American War. He actually attained the rank of Major General. And then, because of his military power and wisdom and experience, because of that, he was elected to the presidency. The nation at that time said, we need someone who can lead an army and command. And because of his military skill, he was become the president, 12th president of the United States. So when they painted his portrait, they said, we're going to capture why we elected him. He's a Major General in the military, become president. Now, Palm Sunday um, is a portrait for us, if you will. When you look at the Palm Sunday passage in the Gospel, you get a portrait that is painted for you of King Jesus, right? And it's this beautiful portrait of the palms and the coats being laid down and Jesus on a donkey and so forth. And you get this picture of who Jesus is as King. But I, as I was studying up on this passage, I didn't want to just look at that one portrait. Because when you look at a portrait, you're only getting a portion of somebody, right? Like, you don't know. Maybe he told the best jokes. You don't know that from his painting, though. Maybe he had one leg that was shorter than the other. You don't know that from his painting. You don't really know who he is based on one slice, one image. And so on Palm Sunday, I thought we would look at several portraits of the king through scripture, one of which is the Palm Sunday passage, and through that get a huge view of who Jesus is, Jesus the king that we worship. And we're going to do that atypically, as I said before. We'll study a little bit, and then we'll worship. Then we'll study a little bit, and then we'll worship. And it will be an exercise for us. But we're going to start in Isaiah. Um, not in the Gospels this morning. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 6, um, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, 
And you want to take a moment to find chapter 6 of Isaiah. We're going to start at the very beginning of it. And when you've got it, just give me a little woo or wave your palm or something. I know you're there. chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is a painting for us of Jesus the King. Now we learn that Isaiah is taken to a throne room of God in a vision. And this is a thing that has not been seen before, and he's trying to describe what he is seeing to us. And sometimes it's hard to describe heavenly things in tangible ways because God's ways are higher than our ways and his things are shinier evidently than our things. And now God wanted to reveal to Isaiah something specific in this moment. The absolute holiness of his character. If we get nothing else from this portrait of King Jesus, it is he is holy, holy, holy. That's what the seraphim cried over and over and over again how immense and how immeasurably awesome God the King is. We learn from Isaiah that the King is seated high above everybody else, exalted and above. Nothing is higher than God. We learn that when he's seated on his throne, his, his robe, his, you know that big flowing robe that kings wear, it overflows down from the throne and the hem. The hem of his robe is what fills the temple in fullness. Just the hem. Can you imagine the immense size of the rest of the robe? If it's just the hem that fills the temple with glory. Now he's surrounded by seraphim, these uh, great creatures. If you want to throw up the Isaiah picture. I found this painting online. Um, and you kind of get the idea of Isaiah down here and these seraphim. That's not God, that's the seraphim. These immense creatures with wings that cover their face and their feet, and with two wings they fly, and their sole job is to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over and never ceasing, because God is holy and large and big and immense and great and exalted. And this is what Isaiah is standing in the presence of. And as he's standing in the presence and hearing this, the foundations of everything are shaking. Because of the voices of the seraphim. Now God is greater than the seraphim. So if 
If the earth trembles and shakes because of their voice, how great must God be? He must be huge and holy, holy, holy. So as intimidating as the seraphim must have been to Isaiah, he realizes how much more so God is exalted, and suddenly in the presence of this worship from the seraphims and this exalted holy, holy, holy God, he suddenly realizes something about himself. And he says, whoa, it's me. I'm lost. He's standing in the presence of God, and the only thing he can say is, I'm lost. I'm utterly lost in the presence of God because if he is holy, 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 I'm undone because there's no way I can measure up. I'm not holy, holy, holy is what Isaiah was thinking. So before the throne of God by his own heart, he realizes I'm a sinful person. I'm not holy like God. And he was moved to confess his sin. He confesses this, I'm lost. I live among people who are sinful and lost. I have sinned against the most high, holy God. And he's just lost and woeful and sad. And then God does something really significant. He initiates something and sends a seraphim, one of those kinds of creatures. Whether that's exactly what they look like, we don't really know. But that's pretty intimidating and cool looking, so we'll roll with that. One of those creatures came up to Isaiah with a coal that was taken from the altar in the throne room, the holy altar, the fiery holiness of God. That's what was burning there, the holiness of God. And took the holiness of God, which was literally on fire, and touched it to his lips and said, Behold, you are made clean. Your sins have been atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. And we get this idea that the king of kings personally applies the remedy for sin to Isaiah. That this holy, holy, holy God said, I don't want you to be undone in my presence. I want you to know what it's like to have true fellowship with me. Allow me to atone for your sin. So that's the picture from Isaiah. The holy, holy, holy throne room. And what do we know of our king of kings by this? He is utterly holy. Beyond comprehension. And yet this beyond comprehension, holy king desires to personally touch our sinful hearts and make them. This holy king, which in his all of his righteousness could have taken Isaiah and dinked him right out of the holy place. Said, I don't want to do that. I want you to be with me in the holy place. We have some business to take care of in order to do that. I will atone for your sins. God's holiness could have moved him to move Isaiah away from his presence. But instead, God's holiness said, I'm going to use my holiness as motivation to make you holy. So we're going to worship now in song. And as we do worship, I urge you to reflect on this portrait we have just painted. This view of this throne room, this holy, holy, holy seraphim worship. I urge you to hear those lyrics as you sing them and to praise the Lord as holy. Holy, holy. Maybe to confess your sins before him this morning. To become undone in his presence and say, woe is me. I am of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. Because he is faithful and just to forgive. Our king is holy, right? That's the portrait that we know right now. Our king is holy and the whole earth is filled with his glory. So will you stand and worship a holy, holy, holy king this morning? Mm -hmm.
sing that song, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And at the exact same time we're singing that song, the seraphim in heaven are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And our voices are literally joining with the voices in heaven. And to me that's really cool, because sometimes our feet are stuck in the mud on earth. But there is this great worship service continually going on in the throne room. And, uh, and it's just cool to be a part of it. Our second portrait this morning is the gospel portrait. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 21. This is our Palm Sunday passage. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you, What are you doing? You will say, The Lord needs this, and he will send them with you at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Galilee. This is the Palm Sunday passage. Now, this is another portrait of Jesus, right? This is nowhere near the same kind of painting as the throne room painting, right? So if you were in an art gallery and you saw throne room painting and donkey painting next to each other, you were going to say those are different people. Right? Because they are so drastically different from one another. Surely, the God of the throne room would not ride a donkey. Right? Surely, the God of a throne room would not come to earth and get dirty with life. Right? That's exactly what the God of Isaiah's throne room did. The passage that we just read gives us this classic, humble view of Jesus. But make no mistake, the king that is seated on that donkey is the same king whose hem of his robe fills the temple with glory. He's the same king that the seraphim fly around and cry, holy, holy, holy about. And this king, who is holy, 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 set that throne aside, left that picture of himself, and came to earth to walk as a man and live relying on the kindness of people, those around him. He didn't have a home. He didn't have um, a job. He was poor. He paid his taxes by hoping there was a coin in the fish's mouth. Okay? Jesus lived a life with no place to call his own. And yet, this king has authority over everything on the face of the planet, right? So the king who sits enthroned in heaven can call upon anything at any time and say, I'm going to use this here and put that there and navigate this over here. And yet, Jesus riding on a donkey humble and meek and gentle, still retains all of his kingship because what did he do? I want you to go to a town I've not yet been to and get a donkey that I've not yet seen and bring it to me. And if they have questions, just say God needs it. 
He is still the king with all the authority. And he set forth to get a donkey for himself to ride on. You can throw up a picture if you want. That's what it means. You don't know who it's by, but it's Jesus on the donkey. Okay? Palm Sunday picture for you. The donkey that he rode on was unridden. There's significance behind that, if you're unaware. Um, uh, a beast of burden, a donkey, typically used for, like, plowing things and carrying things, and, you know, it was a beast of burden. If you didn't break your back, the donkey broke its back, okay? Um, but in this case, this was an unridden donkey. It had never once been sat upon or used because it was being set aside for a sacred purpose. And that day, if you didn't use your donkey or your animal for burden and work, it was being set aside for a sacred purpose. And that sacred purpose was to carry the King of Kings, the Holy, 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 into Jerusalem. As he entered the city, the people cried out, Holy and worthy and peace on earth, and the King has come. And depending on which gospel account you read, because this is in all four gospels, the cry-outs are slightly different. Hosanna, son of David. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Um, um, was the, the, uh, the king is here. Peace on earth. Worthy. Um, and as I was reading through all four gospel accounts, all four pictures of the gospel, I got to realizing, man, that sounds a lot like what the angels heralded at Jesus' birth. When the angels cried out, holy, 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 and peace on earth to men, those same words were being cried out by the people that day. They called him Son of David, which was a royal title. They were saying, listen, we recognize that God has promised us someone who will be in the lineage of David, who will be a king, and his kingdom will have no end. And when Jesus rode in on the donkey, they said, Son of David, our royal title for you. And they threw their coats down, and they waved their palm branches for this man on a donkey. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest. You guys know what the term Hosanna means? God save. God save, right. It's, a, it's basically a plea for salvation. It's a, it's a plea for do something in my life. So it started off as a declaration of we need salvation. And it turned for us now into a declaration of victory because he has given us that salvation. So he rode in and they cried out Hosanna because they were excited about what this king was going to ride into Rome to do. This king, they said, was going to ride into Rome and with his sword slay the Roman enemies. That's exactly what the Jewish people were thinking. So when they waved their palm branches and they threw their coats down and they said, Son of David, Hosanna in the highest, they were saying, come be a military general and knock out our enemies and bring us salvation from Rome. And here's this king on a donkey, humbly listening to all of this, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm not about to wage war on Rome, but I will wage war on your enemy. I'm not about to bring you freedom from Rome, but I will bring you freedom from sin. I'm not about to bring you salvation from a government you don't like. I'm going to bring you salvation from the sins that have entangled your life. Hosanna takes on a different meaning in this context. The very king of kings who personally atoned for the sins of Isaiah in the throne room is the same king who rode on a donkey towards the cross to atone for sin. And this atonement, this freedom, this victory, this salvation wasn't just going to be for the one man in the throne room. It was going to be for all people, for all time. The entire earth, scripture tells us, is filled with his glory and will give him praise and honor and worship him. 
And so they shouted Hosanna, which was an appeal for deliverance from Rome. And as we worship now in song, I urge you to reflect on the word Hosanna and lift up your voice and lift up your palms and praise the King of Kings who came to us from the throne room where all the glory and worship was his all the time to a place where he would walk humbly and be misunderstood and treated poorly so that he could atone for our sins and give us the victory. Lift up your palms and praise him because he walked with us. He died for us so that we could have victory and salvation through him. Shout Hosanna to the king in praise for his deliverance. Shall we worship? Blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be the blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And then Revelation 21, 1-7. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of this life. Without payment. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What a picture. I mean, when you look through scripture, you get these little portraits of the king in this glorious throne room of Isaiah. Ezekiel had a, a similar vision. And then you get this picture of this king on a donkey. And then you get this picture of Revelation. And you kind of get the bookends, right? The glory before everything. And then what happens in Jesus' earthly ministry. And then how Jesus is going to wrap things up at the end. After obtaining victory for our souls on the cross, through his willing death, King Jesus ascended to heaven and returned to the throne room. Because that's his rightful place, is seated on the throne. And it was when he returned to the throne room, Scripture tells us, that the heavens erupted with glorious shouts, myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands of people, shouting joy and acclamation for the spotless lamb that was slain. So we've got the lamb up here in the center on the throne um, and all the myriads of people worshiping God in heaven. Because the Lamb was no longer slain. The Lamb was alive again. And His reign will continue for eternity. And with His eternal reign comes a new kingdom full of peace. Something that has not existed before, but that will be new. And John's vision in Revelation of this throne room shows us that our king has a plan. He's not an accidental king. He didn't accidentally show up on a donkey one day. He didn't accidentally create people and desire to have a relationship with people. He was intentionally working his kingship through generation after generation after generation, showing us his love and his holiness and the way he would like us to live according to his will. See, our God, our King, the King of Kings, Jesus, is not in it for the short game. One picture does not paint enough about this king for us. Jesus is in it for the long game, right? His desire is not to enact a partial fix for a part-time, but a full fix for all people for all time. A fix for the hunger in our hearts and the pain that we experience and the sorrow that we suffer in this world. See, King Jesus loves his people, and he died for his people. And he provides a place for his people. A place in his presence where, like Isaiah, we'll be able to see him. But we'll be able to see him not just a robe, but face to face one day. 
One day, because of King Jesus, we will be able to stand in the throne room and worship Jesus face to face. And I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. He is a king who takes all the things that are broken, and as Addie's Bible says, all the things that are sad and broken come untrue. He unmakes all of the sad things and remakes them into joy. He takes all of the broken things and remakes them into something new. He takes all things and makes them new. Not a polished version of the old broken, okay? But truly new for his glory and for the good of man. This king, which we read about in Revelation, is the same king which sat on the donkey, is the same king which died on the cross, is the same king which is in the throne room exalted in Isaiah's version, uh, vision, is the same king which spoke the heaven and earth into being. Our king has always existed, will always exist, always has a heart for his people, is long-suffering for us, patient for us, desires for us to have relationship with him, and desires to enter into our life and heal the things that need healing. This king that we worship, his name is Jesus. There is no other name, Scripture tells us, by which we must be saved except King Jesus. And he is not distant, he is personal. He is involved and present with us now, in this very moment, right here. Because while he is exalted in the throne room, he is also here with us in this place. And this place becomes the holy throne room while we worship him. On this Palm Sunday, as in every Sunday, and frankly, every day of our life, we should be lifting our hands, our hearts, our voices to worship and praise the King of Kings, the Holy One, the I Am. We should willingly offer our lives in sacrifice to Him because He alone is worthy. Who else could we give our life in service to but the King of Kings? We recognize that our life and all of the earth, everything in it, everything, is His to use freely, whenever, wherever, however He deems, including the things He has entrusted to us, like our family and our finances and our time, and our possession. At any point in time, the king of kings could say, I want you to take this resource that I have given to you and put it over here for the glory of God and the benefit of someone else. We celebrate the king today, who rules with humility and love and wisdom, a king who demonstrated with his own life that mercy triumphs over judgment. And we surrender our lives to the king who has the power over life and death. The keys to Hades who sets the captives free. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has been dead and alive evermore. And to him alone belongs all the praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And so as we worship in song again and close the service, we must surrender and glorify. We must um, celebrate our king and when we do, when we surrender our lives and we, like Isaiah, become undone and allow him to work in our life, and we receive the humility of King Jesus and glorify him alive forevermore, we are literally joining in with the host of angels, the myriads of voices, the winged creatures, and the other ones that are described in Ezekiel, which are even more awesome and wonderful and fearfully made. A great cloud of witnesses which has preceded us in the faith that Hebrews talks about. We are surrounded by those voices praising God and giving glory to Him. Together with all of creation, this morning, 
We will give glory and honor forever and ever to the Lamb on the throne, who alone is worthy. Amen? Amen. Let's worship God.